0: You're listening to Key Matters from Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma
1: Foundation. So you started, right? I did. I have March, June, September, and December of 1887. The best year ever! I had March 1888,
0: all the way through to December 1888.
1: I realized that the 1880s is something of a lost decade. I mean, can you name one thing that defines this period?
0: Uh, oh, gosh, I feel like that's a trick question.
1: It's not, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not.
0: Well, we're still in the Gilded Age. Yes. Um, and I'm a presidential enthusiast, so I know all about Grover Cleveland and his young, uh, sometimes sometimes... Controversial, yes. Controversial, uh, Frank. <laughs> so, but no, uh, there there isn't really a ton that I could I could name from the 1880s just off the top of my head.
1: Right, and you know all about his secret surgery, right, to remove yes. the tumor. Yeah, that's exciting. There's a there's a really good book out about that. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I was thinking about the kind of the reputation of the 1880s and its perception. Of this public perception last night and this morning during breakfast and just, could I name one thing that people would associate with the 1880s? Like if you ask them, for instance, about the 1920s, people would say prohibition or the jazz age or flappers or something, or the 1930s and people would say the great depression or FDR and so on. The decades preceding the 1880s and of course the ones following it really have one or two things that stand out or that are identifiable. But but not really with this period. After I gave it a little more thought, I realized. I mean, there is the Haymarket Riot of eighteen eighty six, but that are a lot of labor struggles. Um, Haymarket is, I think, maybe more um, recognizable if you're in Illinois or if you're in if you live in Chicago,
0: or if you've There's, just finished your U.S. history class, or
1: if you just finished. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's the dedication of the Statue of Liberty, that's 1886. The Jack the Ripper Murders, it's 1888. And then one of my favorite animated films... An American Tale is set in 1886, and but the Statue of Liberty is part of that film. It figures into the conclusion, so there, there really isn't a lot I think that defines this period. But I think that's one reason why I find it really fascinating. So I'm covering 1887 in this episode. So just to give you a little bit of context, uh, Buffalo Bill's Wild West Show toured Great Britain in 1887, and then went on uh, for a European tour. Thomas Edison began a campaign against using alternating current or AC. He was an advocate of direct current or DC. So these current wars were ongoing in the 1880s. Um, Many animals were killed in the process of demonstrating which one was better or more dangerous. Nikola Tesla began experimenting with x-rays and possibly the most important uh, event at least for me is a study in scarlet the first sherlock holmes story or novel actually was published in beaton's christmas annual in 1887 changing the scope of literature forever <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> i am impressed that you got sherlock holmes in there anything well,
1: it, there's more
0: it, oh, it, I'm it's sure, later i'm sure later. There I, is.
1: yes <laughs> And then just to wrap up the context for 1887, um, a few historical figures that were born in this year, artist Georgia O'Keeffe, Jamaican political leader and journalist Marcus Garvey, uh, probably best known for his uh, Back to Africa movement, Uh, physicist Erwin Schrodinger, and Congressional Medal of Honor winner Alvin York. Oh, I did work in World War I. Yay. Okay. So... (laughs) Yeah, Alvin York was born in 1887. So if you don't know who he was, watch Sergeant York, which is a great film with Gary Cooper uh, from 1941. Or read Wikipedia, do something. The
0: the enthusiasm (laughs) is palpable. I love it. (laughs) All right, Right. Your, your issues of the key. You covered March 1887 to December 1887?
1: Yes, that's right. So opening with March, one of the first things I noticed was that instead of beginning this issue with a poem, we we're starting with a discussion of cemeteries in New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. However, since I'm doing a lot of research on funerals and mourning rituals for a video that will... Premiere on YouTube later this month. I did find that kind of fascinating. The essay describes all of the tombs that were adorned with uh, memorial iconography, like crepe wreaths, paper flowers, vases. That's on page 58. And then the author of this essay, Anna C. Fall, notes that there were two young men were arrested for stealing the brass screws which fastened the tablets to the tombs. It was customary for the tombs to have these tablets they might contain an elegy or information about the family or the the deceased and I just thought at the time that I was reading this that that's really similar to people stealing copper wire today so who oh, yeah. knows what they were doing with the screws maybe they melted it down I don't know
0: what would you say was did you
1: say it's bronze or brass? brass.
0: Okay. Brass. I was going to say, cause bronze is so expensive, but maybe, yeah, maybe they could sell the brass even for scrap or maybe they just were mischief makers. and
1: Maybe <laughs> it might've, it might've been, they may have, might've done it on a dare. Right. Yeah. Um, another fascinating discussion that took place in this issue um, is all about belonging to different organizations like Kappa and other reform organizations like the Women's Christian Temperance Union or the WCTU. And the main question in this essay was, are we abiding by the organization's principles or, or are we members in name only? So I think that's a very relevant question that we can ask ourselves today for whatever organization we belong to. What are we doing? What are we giving back to our organization, or are we just, you know, throwing those letters out there because of uh, status?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we can really see how Kappa is growing and changing in this issue because now more authors submitting pieces are talking about, you know, membership in Kappa during college. That's just the beginning you have your whole life ahead of you uh, to make a difference as an alumna. And now the key is anticipating receiving newsletters from alumni association. So I thought that that was notable. And then one of the schools that I always look for in any issue that I'm reading is St. Lawrence because that's Ada, one of Ada's alma maters and that's where she became a Kappa. But St. Lawrence is pursuing the art of debate during its meetings. And I wondered if maybe that might've had something to do with the fact that elocution and oratory are so important. And we know that, or I know that they were important to Ada as well. So I'm wondering maybe as a charter member, if she maybe had some influence on kind of the um, the activities that they wanted to pursue. So St. Lawrence thought it was worthwhile for chapters to at least consider picking topics and then debating with each other. So there would be this debate via correspondence. In the key. And
0: again, one more plug uh, for anyone who's just joining us and you are not familiar with Ada, which I suggest you start listening from the beginning and then you'll know what what Dr. Oz is talking about. Ada Mariner uh, is a subject of one of Dr. Oz's podcasts on Voyage of Discovery. So switch over, check out the the story about Ada Mariner, Ada Mariner Stewart, um, in one of Dr. Oz's. Which episode of Voyage of Discovery is it? Do you remember?
1: I don't remember the episode number but the title of that episode is a stewart family letter okay because she figures into an object that i'm okay. discussing so just look for that title
0: there's your cross promotion <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right so moving on to june again sometimes i skip the introductory poem or essay but this time i don't know something caught my eye i think because it's on one of those really common topics, beauty. And I, it makes me wonder if some of these students were so immersed in, in these topics that probably come up in their like classical studies because you know this essay is talking about beauty of the mind. It's something that women need to cultivate if they're gonna succeed in their studies and thrive on campus. And it reminded me of that's something that I mentioned in the tours that I give at Stewart House, especially when we're in the parlor and talking about women's education, that, that it was very important to them to demonstrate their femininity at, at the same time pursue academics and pursue a life of the mind that, that they were these things were connected. And this essay is interesting because there is a call to action. It says, the author says on page 97, quote, the beautiful mind lends dignity and strength to others, thus influencing those in its immediate society. Through them, it influences the world. And it continues that I I really like this quote. Like autumn leaves, we see our great men falling all around us. Their names may be forgotten, but their influence lives on. And that reminds me of an excerpt from the poem, A Psalm of Life by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And part of the poem says, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time.
0: Yeah, they for sure were influenced by these great giants of classical literature and poetry. I reference in my issues a poem that also includes references to autumn and things like that. Okay,
1: um, another essay that I enjoyed, and I learned something new, I got to kind of fell down a rabbit hole, <laughs> this essay about uh, pro- Kappa's in professional life, which is on pages 102 to 105, so I have to give a, sh- a shout out to, to Florence Lee from St. Lawrence, just, that's a coincidence, Florence essay, at St.
0: Lawrence,
1: <laughs> it's, it's like Cornell, it's like, Anything ha- if anything happens that's extraordinary, Cornell is somehow connected, but St. Lawrence is probably a really close second.
0: Who oh I just like that the there was a, a rhyme to the Florence at St. Lawrence.
1: Oh yeah, I did okay that <laughs> I wasn't even I was so focused on what I was gonna say next. I did that Hashtag was total Osmo. Total Osmo, yeah. So Florence Lee was um in charge of a science department at an institute and the name isn't given in fort plains new york and what i learned was florence lee whitman that her her uh, made or her married name was the daughter of john stebbins lee the first president of st lawrence she was born in 1862 and died in 1948 and while i was researching florence I came across St. Lawrence's newspaper. uh, The Hill has a website. And it it was discussing, of course, paranormal activity. And according to The Hill, in the 1970s, paranormal investigators Lorraine and Ed Warren made a trip from their headquarters in Connecticut to investigate some activity on the St. Lawrence campus. Because according to some myths, and there, there are some differences, uh, in which whatever story you're happen to be reading. But Florence Lee Whitman haunts at least one building. Uh, one story I read said that she haunts a cottage on the campus called The Hub. Another one said um, she has been seen or or her presence has been felt at the Heron Cole building on campus or at the Lee House, which I must have been where the president lived at that time, uh, since the name is is the same, but yeah, who knew? Right. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> and then, just I'll give a shout out to Cornell. Size letter um, at the the end of this issue mentions the donation that will finance the establishment of Sage College. And I bring that up because I had been listening to a presentation by Cornell's unofficial historian all about the history of fraternities at Cornell, and he mentioned Sage College. And while I was on campus, their campus last year, I used to pass by Sage College. And Sage College became the women's dorm uh, until that building was established. Women did not live on campus. And of course, that was the only women's dorm for a number of years, and that's where Dr. Crawford lived. And this this building, it was more than just like what we would think a dormitory would be. It actually had a dining hall, a gymnasium, a botanical laboratory, and a lecture room. So, So for some reason, the introductory essays for all of these issues were just, or maybe I was just trying to pay more attention to what was going on, but the September introductory essay about German women, so they've really moved away from poetry, I guess they they wanted to make more of an impression. Uh, This essay about German women reminded me of the television show Charité uh, on Netflix, which is all about German medicine, the history of German medicine. And the first series, uh, so right now there are are two series. The second one focuses on World War II, but the first one is primarily set in the, the 1880s. And um, the turn of the 20th century, but the first series focuses on a German woman who I believe is working as some kind of aide or a nurse, but she once did she had been a medical student um, and maybe had been studying abroad because she had been denied that opportunity. Germany did not allow women in their their medical schools they didn 't even women didn 't even have their own medical college, so she has limited options, but she 's trying to learn as much as she can from the physicians who are on staff there at the hospital and surprise, surprise, Florence Lee, Florence from St. Lawrence, wrote this essay all about German women. Yeah! Yeah! Slow from slow. (laughs) 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 Um, The This issue talks about the Indian, I guess we could call her an activist, uh, Pundita Ramabai, I may have mispronounced her name, but on page 157, discusses her ambitions to establish schools for uh, high caste Hindu widows in India and we might think that oh okay these are women that you know their husbands have passed away and they can like further their education but it's it's hard to believe but really many of these women had no education at all and they weren't fully mature women like we would think oh they're in their you know 20s or 30s no these are these are teenagers that she is concerned about and They've had no education, and what's fascinating about her endeavors is that they're really trying something new. Instead of having, like, say, you know, Western missionaries or people from from Europe go into India and try to make a difference, and there would be a lot of cultural clash. There, Pundita can then she herself, because she is of that higher caste, she can move about more easily. In, in India reach reach women and, and then train other women to then do that that work. So that's something that um, is really, I think, popular now, at least in missionary circles that you train people in their own culture and then they go out. That's really not a new idea. They've been doing that for a long time. So,
0: It makes um, me think of um, PEO's International Peace Scholarship where they – afford scholarships to women who are studying in the United States with the intention of taking their skills back to their home countries yeah. um, which is a really neat program and and part of a historic organization so um, those PEOs certainly were influenced by by women of a similar time
1: yeah so that's exactly the same idea another way that we see Kappa changing is more and more women are calling for the, um, a chapter room to be established because if the chapter has its own room that then becomes sort of a home center for the, the chapter.
0: Are the chapters that are calling for that mostly at large schools? Because I know in the 1880s, not as many students would have traveled the way we see today. Most people would have been from the area. Yeah. Like, Did you see any sort of patterns in that?
1: Um, I, I know this was an issue for Cornell, (laughs) only because I've read, uh, I've read other things like in Dr. Crawford's papers, but they were meeting in, in students rooms. And, you know, as the chapter grows, that becomes more and more impractical. And that does,
0: that does make sense at the larger universities where you would have to travel from there because not your entire student body is not from Ithaca, (laughs) if you're going to Cornell, if you're going to St. Lawrence, not everyone is from Canton. So, um, that would make sense that they would want. And if they didn't have many alumni at that point, because so often we read in the early instances of like chapter minutes that they would meet in the homes of alumni if possible. So,
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah. So. And, um, and then September wraps up with really a discussion about how often should Kappas wear their badge? And I was thinking about this because. Um, sesquicentennial and so I, I wasn't wearing my badge because I was here by myself I'm like well nobody's gonna see it but me <laughs> so, um, but how you know how often and maybe, maybe that doesn't matter I mean maybe it doesn't matter if anybody sees your badge so that that I think that does figure into this this discussion that they were having what's your motivation behind wearing it is it about ostentation or or, if you're wearing it all the time because it is important to you, does then it become just so commonplace that you then forget about the significance of the badge? So, I think it's kind of a matter of personal choice. Deb-
0: It'd be a fun debate that nobody could win, because you would say that, yes, you want it to become so commonplace that you've now absorbed the lofty ideals and goals, but then no, if it becomes just as special as a pair of socks. <laughs> it could go round and round. We should, we should submit this for a debate topic today.
1: Yeah, we should. (laughs) It it would be interesting to see what, that, that would be an interesting thing to do on social media, maybe, and just hopefully people wouldn't be offended, but, but just to see kind of where people land on some of these eternal questions.
0: Well, and with anti-fraternity sentiment, I used to think of anti-fraternity sentiment as happening at certain periods in time. It's always there, basically, depending on what campus and what part of part of the country you're in. Um, so I always think back to Elizabeth Gowdy Baker, who painted that giant painting of Tade Coons, how she was told by Monmouth, secret organizations are banned. You are a professor and you are wearing your membership pin, your kappa key of this banned organization. So either stop or hit the road. And she hit the road <laughs> and ended up being good enough for her career. that uh, then she became this famous painter in New York. But um, you know, then it becomes somewhat of a either a risk or a protest or something to to wear that membership pin.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm about to wrap up my my part of of the show, um, and I'm so excited because I mean we are going in chronological order, so of course I was going to end with December anyway. But there is so many there is so much so much in December. I'm excited to talk about. Um, actually, don't have many. Don't have many notes, but what I have is is big. So. <laughs> get ready. Come. Come. <laughs> All right. Again, so the introductory essay, I was paying more attention. No poetry. Again, more serious topic of conversation. Practical training for girls. On page two, the author says no girl should be considered well educated, no matter what her accomplishments, until she has learned a trade, a profession, a business, or a remunerative industry. So basically, she needs to be able to support herself. Rightly so. Yes. And I agree with that. Although, I wonder. Says the academic. Yeah. I... <laughs> no, that's not fair because because i'm in the field of public history i have i have a foot in each camp but I, as a practitioner of public history or applied history i do do things that produce tangible results and we're doing a podcast right now that's that's tangible hey and you I have a salary
0: com- you have a salary that supports your life I,
1: I have a yes but who needed assistance with installing those light bulbs last year well <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do. Okay, that doesn't have anything to do with uh, this quote, though. Uh,
0: now I'm teasing.
1: Uh, yeah, I know. Um, but it does make me wonder what what do they consider practical training? Yeah, is, is history are, are the humanities practical? I mean, that's another that's another question that we just debate on and on. Pendulum swings back and forth, and now I'm sorry to say that we're on this other side where everybody <laughs> is is emphasizing. You know, the tr- we need people skilled in the trades. Don't get me wrong because I can't change a light bulb apparently, but, uh, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we need to forget about everything else. So exactly. I, yeah, I wasn't sure like if, if she can consider- but she does say a profession. So I, I'm, I have a profession. So. Right. There we go. Don't need to rely on a man. I've, you know, anyway. right. so. <laughs> except, except okay. Jerry. Well, yeah, but he didn't change the light bulb. You did. right. <laughs> That's right. That <laughs> yeah and I did install the uh, Wi-Fi system by myself
0: you did that's right, yes. right. <laughs> you've you've proven your case yeah
1: okay so th- these issues have now added a new book section which I find really fascinating it's kind of along the same lines of the advertisements I'm sure we could do a whole episode on the books that they're recommending they aren't necessarily written by kappas these are just books that kappas are re- recommending to other kappas yeah. and there uh, it's a very exhaustive list there's fiction nonfiction, and then that's broken down into different genres but in the new book section there is a, a novel called the red spider published by s baron gould and for all of you sherlockians out there you'll know that s baron Bering- gould was a theologian and writer, but he was also known in in our in our Sherlockian circles for his biography of Sherlock Holmes. So I promised I would get it in there twice. That and that was just hey, that was serendipity. I didn't plan that. <laughs> but there he was. And so that's a great biography. I love that somebody I love that uh fictional character has a biography out there I'm sure somebody will uh, you know eventually write a biography of Harry Potter or something you know one day but Sherlock Holmes is first. Isn't you know. that the whole
0: series? Harry Potter's biography?
1: <laughs> well that's true but I, I meant there, there's going to be somebody else that's writing a book that's going to be con- considered nonfiction because I believe the biography of Sherlock Holmes it technically has a Dewey Decimal number in the 800s so it's nonfiction. So you did hey. air clothes. This is a podcast. I just did some air quotes. <laughs> Lib-
0: librarian roots right there.
1: Yeah. But hey, it's it's just super cool. So I had to throw that out there just because. Now, okay, the most exciting find. So in addition to the St. Lawrence reports, I check some in Indiana because of my Hoosier roots, but also I check Bucktel College, which is now part of the University of Akron, Lambda chapter, uh, Ada Mariner Stewart, although she would never she never would have referred to herself as Ada. And at this point she's not Ada Mariner Stewart, she's just Ada Mariner anyway. She was teaching at Bucktel and I according to the timeline that I have laboriously constructed over the past year or so. She should have been at Buckdale around this time, but I had never found reference to her. She is never mentioned by name in the key because I've done a keyword search and she just doesn't show up. But lo and behold, while I was checking this report, at the end, the author says, a department of elocution has been added to the college this year. And so immediately I perked up with class instruction by an efficient teacher from the Philadelphia School of Oratory. And I was just like, if I had been in a library, I would have probably been kind of disruptive because I was like, yes, 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 I found her. She's there. That's her. I know it's her. I mean, I can't prove it. But I'm 99.999% sure that that's Ada, because she was at the Philadelphia School of Oratory. And so it confirms my timeline that they then you know, hired her. But it just cracks me up that they wouldn't just include her name. But maybe the author didn't know. They were just like, oh, you know, they hired a, a teacher.
0: Or maybe the editors cut it, because it wouldn't matter to anyone else, you know, like when they're just trying to cut for space, which is interesting because I think about, I went to a small school and all of my professors. And when you first told me about this find, I was like, how does she not know she's a Kappa? And how do the Boston people not know she's a Kappa? You know, whatever. Um, But then I think back, there were probably lots of adults that I had encountered, especially when I was an undergraduate, who I never would have known was a Kappa. And even... Today, I just happened to search the database because I work at headquarters um, right when I first started working there, and I found out that my neighbor growing up was a Kappa, and I never knew it. So um, let that be a reminder to all of us to wave our flag proudly and and tell people that we are Kappas so that we can make those connections more easily.
1: So that's my big news, and because ADA sightings are so rare, but just... That's very true
0: of you to put that together. Well done. Yeah.
1: Thank you. But uh, it just gives me hope that maybe the efficient teacher in elocution will show up again at some point. We can only hope. <laughs> so you know what I th-
0: think we both can always hope for is that, so what? We're now 120 years or so past this this issue. So in 120 years, I hope someone says, <gasps> I found evidence of Kylie and Mary. Here they are. They're not listed by name. They're listed as Dr. Oz and her sidekick. But I'm fairly certain all evidence points to it being Kylie Smith
1: and Mary Osborne. <laughs> so I'll be able to check the metadata <laughs> <of our> names.
0: <laughs> if only Ada knew how how on the hunt you were for her. You've been listening to Key Matters, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research and production is done by Dr. Mary Osborne and me, Kylie Smith. Thank you.